Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20, with Pastor John King. Good morning, everybody. Uh, today we're going to be in chapter 2. As you can see, we're going to cover verses 13 through 20 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I would ask you, as you're turning there, just to let me uh, give us an update as to where we've been in God's Word. Uh, last week we took a very close look uh, at two important aspects of Paul's ministry, and that was his, his preaching ministry, and secondly, his pastoral ministry. And we also need to remember whenever we refer to Paul, or whenever I refer to Paul, we also need to include his companions, uh, Silas or Silvanus and Timothy. This letter is, is, is kind of uh, written uh, from the three of them, actually. Now we know that Paul had many critics, and mainly the Jewish leaders at the time who were very jealous of his ministry. And so he, they were maligning his character and his methods. And so last week we quoted a phrase. Uh, the phrase was, the truth of the gospel is confirmed by the integrity of its preachers. And this is in reference to the first chapter in verse 5 where they, they declared, they said, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Several times last week in verses 1 through 12, Paul had repeated the phrase, As you know, or you yourselves know as he was very candid, as you recall, of reviewing his conduct in response to the attacks against him and his companions. He isn't simply tooting his own horn. The fact that he has presented the gospel message, and this is important if, if you, uh, you, know, you want to evaluate a preaching ministry, a pastoral ministry, this is important. The gospel message should come in substance and truth, it should come with conviction and commitment that they were sincere. He claimed that they were sincere and without deceit. He wasn't trying to trick people into gaining a following. He didn't seek to flatter. He didn't seek to make false gains in order to obtain more people in his church. And, and, and the other thing you can see, you know, you, you look at it from that angle, but you can also see genuine fruit. And see it in the salvation. You can see it. Um, many have come to the Lord. And they have, you know, their lives are being changed. And so this was affirmed by both the church and God himself. It was approved by God. Their conduct among the people was also very gentle. It was very patient and loving. And so Paul describes to us a ministry that compares to a nursing mother, a serving brother, and a father's leading. A father who's not angry about the needfulness of the fellowship and a mother, willing to work, a brother willing to work overtime to serve alongside, bringing comfort and exhortation in order that they would fulfill God's call in their lives. And that's our goal here. Uh, those of us that are, have the privilege of being leaders, whether you're a ministry leader, a Sunday school children's ministry teacher, 
serving on one of the teams, or simply a brother or sister in Christ that attends this church. We all have sort of a leadership role, and we are to bring comfort and be patient and gentle and loving with one another. This is so opposite of what we see in the world today. Now today we're going to examine the other side of the coin. If, as we have seen, if Paul and, and his companions were good leaders, and they were approved by God, and they were affirmed by the church, then what can be said about good followers? What can be said about those of us who um, willingly uh, submit, if you will, that's a bad word in these days, but willingly come under the teaching and the guidance of their leaders in the church? Did the Thessalonians receive the message that Paul and them had given them? And were they willing to endure the suffering? Would this young church grow strong in their faith or would they wither and die? And to answer those questions, let's look at our passage from today. Verse 13, he says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because you have, or when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and they are contrary to all men. In fact, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Verse 17, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. And so, Heavenly Father, we... Uh, Once again, we come to you for the answers that we can't generate in our own selves. We can only come to you for the truth. We can only come through your word for guidance and help and direction for our lives. And so that's why we've gathered today, not only to worship you and to encourage one another, but we've come, Lord, to study your word together as a church family. And may it bear much fruit in our lives, even this week, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So we start off in verse 13. Paul is going to talk about the effectiveness of the Word of God. What what sets the Bible apart from any other written word? And that's its power and its effectiveness. And so Paul says he's, he's giving thanks for the sovereign work of God. And he starts right away. He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Now, by now, by now we've, we've talked quite a bit about Paul's prayer life and the fact that they do it continuously. He taught us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we don't have to um, always 
take a certain time of the day or a certain posture, if you will, physically in order to speak to the Lord and pray and hear his voice. We have the ability. He has wired us for direct communication with him because the Holy Spirit lives within us so that we can be doing the dishes. We can be driving down the road. We can be doing many things at the same time and also praying and having fellowship with God in our prayers. And so here, Paul, we see a committed prayer warrior. And we all have to admit that we are, if Paul is is willing to say this, we all will have to admit that we're not as committed as Paul is writing here. We fall short many times. We get sidetracked. But it is possible for you and I to have constant fellowship with the Lord each day and every day. And only God can enable us to have faith in his word. If these were simply words and they were written by, you know, another great author, well, they'd simply be a book on a shelf of many writings. But only God can give us the faith to have power, see the power in his word and have the faith in his word. And and that's, we say, thank you, Jesus, for that. Now, Paul is giving thanks to them for the power of the word of God. But there's a condition here. It's to them who believe. You know, you can take the word of God, you can receive it into one ear, and it can come right out the other ear. He says, because he was rejoicing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. So not only did they hear it, but they received it, and they, then they went further and they welcomed it. The word received is paralambano. This is to receive something transmitted, as in when a tradition is passed down from one generation to the next. And Paul used the exact same word to describe how he received directly from God words from the Lord at his conversion. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 5, it says, For I delivered to you first all of that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he goes on to say that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. So they received the word of God. They heard the word of God. The doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation. That's our message to the world. That through Jesus Christ, everyone who comes to the Lord and surrenders their life unto them can enter the kingdom of God and have their sins forgiven. And not only that, but this is where the the rubber now meets the road. You welcomed it. You welcomed it. You know, you're not just talking about some cultural Christianity. Oftentimes when we ask people, do you know Jesus? Especially in our area, they start talking about the church they were raised in. They're not really talking about Jesus' power in their lives. They're just talking about the church they were raised in. And praise God that they were raised in the church. But it can be such a cultural thing. We need to believe it. We need to welcome it. The word, uh, the Greek word, dekomai, it, it says to give ear to, to embrace, but to make it your own. To make it your own. You truly know Jesus Christ. You have received his word. We often use the illustration that it's gone, the word of God has gone the 18 inches from your head to your heart. And Paul is acknowledging the source of their steadfastness. That's the only way you're going to stand is if it's real. And so he declares, he says, the word of God, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. 
the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. It's not a human word. It's not a human message. It's a message from God. You recall from our earlier study that this was a very uh, extremely religious culture. Every religion and philosophy that was known to man at that time in the world could be had. And the Thessalonians were bombarded with religious and philosophical choices, much as we are today. There's ideas coming out all over the place. There's people who are seeking our allegiance all over the place. But we received the word of God. He said they received the word of God as it is in the truth. What it really is, it's truly the word of God, most certainly. But notice he says it also effectively works. You know, this is the, the progression, as you will, from the head knowledge to the heart knowledge to the work. It energized. The ener energo is, is the Greek word. And this is how you can say that the word of God is now on display for others to see. Not in a sense of pride, but God is working in your life. And you can put confidence in it. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian here today, I will tell you what you already know. I want to reaffirm what you already know. Your personal testimony as to how and when you came to saving faith in Christ brought an inward change to your heart. The Word of God spoke with the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sins that led to repentance and asking Jesus into your heart to guide you for all of eternity. And as you've grown in your faith, the changes brought have become evident to others. You can testify that even in life's most dif difficult times, you have leaned on God's Word for comfort and guidance. You know that these are not simply mere words on printed pages. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. And so Paul, having declared uh, that these Thessalonians received these words, he only, keep in mind that during that time, he preached from the Old Testament scriptures and he preached from the word that he received from God. The thing, the logos that he had received, the Lord had put it in him. He would eventually, these letters would come to bear. Others who received the word or walked with Jesus would write the rest of the New Testament. But Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And these were revelations from the word of God. And they followed and they believed. So the question for everyone here and everyone who can hear my voice, do you believe what we call the Bible today is truly the word of God? And if you were to answer yes, then what my next question would be, have you received the word of God as truth in your life? Now, why would I ask a question like that? Well, because of some of the common indicators of the overall spiritual condition of our country, our society. And we see this through the many polls that are taken. And one poll... Uh, it was called the American Worldview Inventory from 2023 from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And they asked several questions. And some of the results of these polls came with the following answers concerning Christianity, the Bible, and God. One finding was that as of 2023, only 50% of American adults embrace the true nature of God. It would have been pretty scary if they were to ask younger people, I, I, I'm afraid to say. 
35% believe Jesus is the only way for salvation. 27% recognize humans as sinful. 46% accept the Bible is true and reliable. Makes you wonder if they actually read it from the previous question. A slim 25% believe in absolute truth that's rooted in the Bible. 36% of those polled see their purpose as serving God. And only 23% define success as being obedient to God. And so why is Paul so thankful that he can't stop thanking God? He only spent three weeks with these folks. The reason why Paul is so thankful is because the Thessalonians were great followers of God's word. Chuck Swindoll put it this way. He said, Paul and his companions not only gave the Thessalonians the gospel message, but they also threw their whole lives into the ministry. The principles of authentic spiritual leadership that Paul put into practice, though, were only half of the equation. He could have done everything right and ended up concluding that it had been a waste of time and energy. Great leadership doesn't work without great followership. In Paul's ministry with the Thessalonians, he had both. And so that's why he was extremely grateful. Now, Paul had a lot of ministry experience. And we know from his reading, reading his uh, recent results, when he wrote this letter, he had just come back from Athens. And he didn't re there weren't a lot of followers that came out of his journey into Athens. But it's been said that there are many uh, pastors that, you know, um, pastors and leaders in today's world, in today's church, that, you know, they don't see that kind of following. They don't see that. And, and I don't mean following of them. I mean following the truth of the word. And so my point is that there are two sides of the coin, that we are to hold our leaders responsible for doing the things that God calls them to do, but we are also holding one another responsible to be good followers. Amen? Now, how do you know, though? It's one thing to say, you guys are great followers. He goes on to explain in verses 14 through 16 how you can tell. And this is another gauge or another example of how you can examine the fruit in the life of a believer. The evidence of a genuine response. How do we, how do we know that they're not just a flash in the pan, these Thessalonians? Well, he, he starts out in verse 14 and he says this. He says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. That word imitators means to mimic or to follow. And we know, you know, this, this is part of ancient teaching. This word that's used, mimic or imitate, it's the way people were made into disciples, whether it was secular or in the Christian uh, context. But when we talk about imitators in our faith, the Christian faith, uh, we, we are to imitate God's character. We see that in Ephesians. We're not going to list all these passages. And so we do this by living lives that are worthy of imitation. And so throughout the letter, Paul addresses three types or modes of imitation that they're doing. First of all, their suffering. Second of all, their love. And thirdly, their holiness. And so he's, he starts out, says, you guys imitated 
those who were in Judea. Now, what are we talking about? Well, the early church, we know from, uh, from church history that they were highly persecuted. They were greatly persecuted. But remember Jesus' words. Judea was the second phase of evangelism in the Great Commission. He said, Jerusalem and Judea to the uttermost part of the earth. He says in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Paul recognizes the sovereign work of God through his person, through his word, and that gives them the ability to endure severe persecution. And so he says to them, in comparison, he says, you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did. The Judeans, the Jews in Jerusalem, turned on the Christians from the very beginning, from the, from the outset. Now what's very remarkable about this is the fact that Paul himself, when he was Saul, had first-hand knowledge of persecuting the church. We've learned through his conversion. And what amazes me, as you read, say, Acts 8.1, when we describe Saul, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. He stood outside of Peter's stoning, holding the coats, you know, making it happen, being going along with it. It says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Paul's conversion to Christ and the resulting change from a vicious hater of Christians to an apostle can only be described as supernatural, as a miracle. It's a miracle. And some of you have that same testimony. It's a miracle that you ever surrendered your life to the Lord when we consider, you consider the life you were leading prior. In fact, Paul doesn't even mention the fact that he was once a persecutor because he believes so thoroughly in God's forgiveness. God has so thoroughly forgiven him, he doesn't need to even mention. He can refer to the way, the Judeans, because that was his old life. That was his old life, and it's no longer what he is now. Now, church history is full of examples where the Christian church actually flourishes because here, this little church is still on fire for Jesus. They're telling everybody about them, but Paul is well aware of the fact that they're being persecuted while he's writing this letter to them. And so, as I say, that the church history is full of examples where a Christian church flourishes during the times of persecution. And we only need to look back to the recent COVID crisis to see and as you were aware, there were certain areas around the world where public church attendance was severely restricted or forbidden by the local, state, or even federal governments. Churches that remained open and they were therefore defiant were put on notice. They were threatened. They were brought into courtrooms. They were fined. They even had their pastors locked up in jail. You know, this, was all, this all happened. In Canada, two church buildings were taken over by the officials. They sent locksmiths in the, at that night. They changed the locks to these church buildings. And then in one case, they erected a fence barrier around the entire church so that nobody could enter. The end result, though, after the dust has settled and all of this is all over, is that every church that had that happen to them, 
their ministry and their attendance has gone very quite steadily through the roof. Because people realized that this was wrong to try and restrict meeting and the need for the church, the essential church. And where am I getting this information? I've said it before. I said it last week. Watch the movie, The Essential Church, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Next, Paul points out the sins of those who oppose the gospel. Not only was he saying, hey, you guys, are, you guys have stood up to the persecution, but he wanted them and he wanted us and he wanted everyone to know that there's consequences for coming against God. For those who oppose the gospel, there is judgment. And he reminds the Thessalonians that they were not the first to struggle under persecution. So he gives them, in verse 15, a very brief history lesson. He says, The Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and they are contrary to all men. So Paul now proceeds, as we get ready to read, he is going to describe the exact opposite of faithfulness of the Thessalonians. What he was commending them for, the opposite of that, are stubborn, willful rebellion against God. And notice he says they killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. You know, they thought that they were killing a man when they, when they put Jesus, when they sent him to the cross. But Paul wants to make sure to emphasize that they killed the Lord Jesus, if you notice. God the Son. And not only that, but they also killed their own prophets. The Old Testament chronicles the pattern of persecution that was held against God's prophets. And Jesus himself declared it to their faces. Listen to his words here in Matthew 23, verses 29 through 31. He's looking at these Pharisees and he's giving them their famous, the woes. And he's telling them to their faces, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. And then he says in verse 31, therefore you are witnesses against yourselves, for you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Now keep in mind, they were plotting his death. They were going to have him murdered. See, they had this spiritual DNA. It was a spiritual rebellion that everybody suffers from apart from Christ. We have rebellious and sin, rebelliousness and sin in our hearts that we have received from Adam. And so he goes on and he says, they do not please God and are contrary to all men. Now these Jewish persecutors were very intimidating to some because of their religiosity. And that can be the case in our world as well. If we come across to people as pious and super religious and super spiritual, others may be actually intimidated by us. And that's not how we're to present ourselves. So Paul wanted to make sure that that church, they knew that they did not please God. In other words, their religion did not please God, and he was going to state it over, again, over and over again, even if they claimed that it did. And so he said that they're contrary to all men as well. In other words, they're hostile to everyone. Some people just hate everyone outside of their specific group. There is nobody that they like. 
And in this case, Paul is referring to the fact that it is the Jews in Greece who are continuously stirring up the Gentiles and chasing Paul away and trying to destroy the message of Christianity. And notice what they were doing. They were forbidding us to, the, to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Here was the religious leaders of the home of the Messiah. The entire nation was created to bring forth the Messiah. They rejected their Messiah. And now any attempt for others to hear about the good news of the gospel, they would try to stand in the way at every chance. Why? Because they're being inspired by Satan. And we know as well that they were being very selective about how they read their Old Testament. Isaiah 49, 6. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. They missed that part. That you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's what they're called for. And he goes on and he says, Paul repeating almost the words of Jesus himself, he says, so as always to fill up their measure of sins. They persisted in their course of antagonism and unbelief. The point is, is that for you and I, we need to recognize that recurring, willful sin always reaches its breaking point. It'll always reach its breaking point. Romans 2, 9 through 11 tribulation and anguish in every soul of man who does evil to the Jew first and also of the Greek. So it's not just the Jews who are bad. It's, not, it's all mankind that stands before God. But honor and glory and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. And so he says they always fill up the measure of their sins, but the wrath has come upon them from the uttermost. Because they were opposed to Paul's missionary work with the Thessalonians. The wrath of God has come upon them. Notice the past tense. An interesting study if you had the time to study why that's like that. I don't have time to go into that today. So Paul is talking about God's present anger with the Jews nationally. And we're at a time in the world right now, as you know, you've been watching the news and you know that we're in a time where the nation Israel, the people of the nation Israel are scared to death. They have no idea what's going to happen. They are begging their leaders to, to bring preemptive strikes to wipe out Hezbollah, to wipe out Iran, to finish the job at Hamas. And I heard a recent podcast from Joel Rosenberg, who's a Christian Jew who's over there. And he said the reason that they say this to their elected officials is because they're scared. You see, they haven't recognize their Messiah, but they will someday. And so they are saying to their elected officials, we give you our sons and daughters, we pay our taxes. And so now you need to go wipe out Hezbollah and you need to wipe out Iran. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I cannot keep my eyes off the news these days because what's happening should not bring fear to us, but it should bring, bring great concern for those who do not know Jesus Christ. It should bring very great concern and grave concern for our friends and neighbors because God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so that prayer means a lot more now, doesn't it? We need to watch out for the poor history that the church has had. We need to watch out for anti-Semitism, especially in our day right now. We need to watch out big time. All this that happened was part of God's plan for redemption for the world. And Jesus is coming back. But when we want, we need to be very mindful about anti-Semitism. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. Because it's very easy for somebody to read this and say, those rotten Jews, they killed the Messiah. Look what problem they've put us in. And unfortunately, that's what many have done throughout church history. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, well, was Paul giving evidence of religious bigotry? He asked the question. When he accused the Jews of killing Jesus Christ and persecuting the Christians? And the answer is no, he was simply stating the facts of history. Nowhere does the Bible accuse all Jews of what a few Jews did in Jerusalem and Judea when Christ was crucified and the church was founded. The Romans also participated in the trial and the death of Christ. And for that matter, it was our sins that sent him to the cross. There is no place in the Christian faith for anti-Semitism. Paul himself loved his fellow Jews, and he sought to help them. So we need to keep that in mind. Now, Paul has explained to us that the work of the gospel in their lives, he's comparing it to the work being done in Judea, the suffering of persecution, and whether or not they would suffer with endurance or cave in to the pressure and denounce the Lord. And so the only hope we're ever going to have, and when you, if you ever know about persecution, we may not experience it. We live in a land of such grace of God. And many of us will not, may not, let's be realistic about it, but who knows? We will not suffer the type of persecution that we're seeing and have seen in the history of the church and we're seeing presently. But if you lived in China and you were a born-again Christian and you had no access to the Bible and the time that you did have access to the Bible, you took the time to memorize entire chapters of the Word of God because you didn't know if it would be taken away from you. And so as we sit in our homes and we have our multiple Bibles and online and all this other stuff, please, folks, let us not take that for granted. Let us not take that for granted. And so we talk about being good followers. That's the question for each you and I. Are we good followers? Sure, it comes back to being under good pastors and leaders. Yes, indeed, it does. But we're all leaders in some way, as we said last week. We all have somebody who we influence. And so here's a fair question for you if you're leading someone, not just for me. I've asked the question to me, and it hurts. What aspects of my Christian faith, my witness, and my service would others want to imitate? Who wants to mimic the life that I lead in Christ? Who wants to mimic the life that you lead in Christ? This isn't, I'm not here for condemnation, but this is a fair question. You see, the bottom line is you either support Jesus Christ or not. There's no in-between. Revelation 3.14, Jesus says, I'll spit you out if you're 
lukewarm. One of the accusations that we as a church have against us in our society, there's several really, but the way, did you ever take the time to try to understand how people look at Christians in society? I think it's a healthy thing to know. Paul referred to the Jews being contrary to all men. You know, they hated everybody. They were religious zealots, these people he's talking about. And this is a similar charge being held against the church today. We're often seen, and this is reliable information, you and I are often seen as judgmental, hypocritical, and out of touch with reality. That's how the world sees the church in a great high percentage. Is there any truth to those claims? And if there is truth to those claims, there shouldn't be if we're Christians. Now, are we perfect? Absolutely not. Uh, we fall short each and every day. But if all we're seen as is being judgmental, hypocritical, and out of touch with reality, we need to check. We need to get with the Lord and maybe re-examine our lives. And many times, you know, we have the battles on social media and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and unfortunately, that's another dimension of personal attack that goes in so many ways. I like what one writer said. Uh, you can agree with this or not, but let me just quote this one writer. He says, we who believe do claim that Christ and the Holy Scriptures are the truth. Okay, we never deny that. But we do not hate and oppose those who differ from us. We love them and do all we can to reach out and to help them. We help to meet the needs of every man, even if he goes to his grave never accepting Christ. We love him, therefore. We want him to know the truth. But if he rejects Christ, we do not cast him off. We will continue to help him in any way we can in love. You may or may not agree with that. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think it's a good thing to keep in mind, considering how the world tends to view us. And the intensity's going up, if you haven't noticed. Finally, verses 17 through 20, we cover the uh, uh, encouragement for a faithful fellowship. You know, Paul doesn't leave us here. We don't stop on kind of a negative note. But he says, But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Now, this is interesting because having been taken away, Paul here now, he, he feels like he got ripped off. He got the short end of the deal. Because the word, it means to be orphaned. It means to be suddenly taken away. And he's like, you know, I, he, is, he is angry and upset and he's trying to get back to see them. And he cares so much about them. He wants to be in fellowship with them. But he senses that, you know, we've been taken away from you for a short time, but not in heart, only in presence. We think about times when we're under conditions of separation, whether through travel or circumstances, of our loved ones and our brothers and sisters in the Lord, you know, do we long for their fellowship? And he says, of course, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. They really did put some effort into coming. But in verse 18, he says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even Paul, I, time and again, but Satan hindered us. 
We say, we say it sometimes a little bit too casually. You know, that's just like Satan, right? We, we use that. That's sort of our Christianese, right? When things don't work out right. Oh, that's just like Satan. Well, when he says Satan hindered, what he means, that word hindered is literally he took the entire road, the entire path out of the way. It's like driving up to a road that's now been washed out. And there's a big sign that says, go back. And you've already driven several hours. And now you're at this point. You didn't know that there was a washout. But you are now being hindered from going in the direction you wanted to go. And that's the, that's the kind of the context Paul was using. So he understood that he was being hindered by Satan. But he had faith. He reminded them that they were present in, in, in heart, even though they weren't in physical presence. And he was committed to fight against the roadblock in any which way that he could. And so that's when he started writing these letters to the churches. And this is one of the first ones that he wrote. He says, for it is our hope or joy. He asked the question, verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? You see, we, no matter how we leave one another, brothers and sisters, we need to keep in mind that we also have very encouraging words for one another as we remind ourselves of our future state, the fact that we're going to be in heaven someday. And, you know, the world's pressing in. It's doing all its thing. We've got things going on. We've got spiritual warfare. We've got economic issues, you know, everything, health issues. But the Lord is going to raise us someday into his presence. And Paul just wants to celebrate with the church and remind them that he, he's going to be there. You know, they're going to be together. Can you imagine the gathering? We have our announcements. We talk about getting together for fellowship. But the biggest announcement that we can give one another is we will be together in heaven in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So what did we learn today as we conclude? We learned, first of all, that the Word of God is powerful in our lives when we receive it and for what it truly is. The Word of God is comforting, convicting, it's life-altering, it's truth like no other, it's food for our soul, it's a light to shine in the darkness. We also notice that our enemy, uh, not only does he seek to prowl around and seeks to devour us, he also hindered us, hinders us in our work and our walk with the Lord. And we learn that just as the Word of God establishes a standard for pastors and leaders, it also requires good followers to carry out the work of the Lord, taking up our cross daily to follow Christ, even in hard times. And we have our promise from God. It's a crown of rejoicing in the presence of Jesus when he comes for his church. Amen? Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you today for our message. We thank you for your word today. And we ask, Lord God, that we would simply uh, just maybe pause to take in your truth. Lord, I pray that you would just be food for our soul, not because of the person that's delivering the message, but for the message itself. It's brought to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the cleansing and the healing aspects of your word, Lord, the encouragement that we receive. And we simply ask, Lord, that you go before us today. May we be a light to shine in the darkness of someone's life. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stand and worship the Lord together.
for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.